All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Business Blast podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Tyler Wagner. As always, today's sponsor is Authors Unite. And if you want to become a successful author, Authors Unite is the place to go. So head on over to AuthorsUnite.com to check out a free case study that will teach you how to do exactly that. And now, let's jump into the episode. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Business Blast podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Wagner. Um, Today's guest is the number one bestselling author of Expat Secrets, How to Pay Zero Taxes, Live Overseas, and Make Giant Piles of Money. He hosts the popular podcast, The Expat Money Show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, and has traveled more than 100 countries, including North Korea, I definitely want to ask you about that. (laughs) Uh, Zimbabwe, El Salvador, and Iran. He can help you to internationalize your business by legally utilizing the offshore markets to reduce your taxes, protect your assets, and regain privacy and control over your life. Please uh, welcome to the show, Mikel Thorup. Mikel, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome, Tyler. Thanks very much for having me here today. Of course. I'm grateful to have you here. We got some juicy topics um, so let's actually, let's start with, uh, like what is an expat? Cause at least for me, I, the first time I actually heard that term was a couple of years ago, um, with a, a client of mine, I, I do books for a living and, uh, I didn't even know what an expat was. So tell us, you know, first off, what is an expat? So expat is, you know what, when I started my podcast and my book and all these types of things, it's just a normal word that we use in our lexicon. And for us, for, for expats, it just means someone who lives overseas. I actually found out afterwards that there's a whole bunch of negative connotation that goes with it. But basically, you can think of it as someone who's moved outside of their, their home country and they live abroad, but most likely they're either going to return home at some day, at some point, or they're going to move to another country. So we're not immigrants, you know, like an immigrant would be someone who moves to a new country and they're going to spend their whole life there and they move their family there and, and they become a citizen of that country. So I've been an expat for roughly 20 years and I've lived in seven different countries and we're actually about to make a move. We're going to uh, be moving overseas again to an eighth country. And I don't see myself ever really stopping, you know, but I guess the negative connotation comes in from uh, there's some racist stuff I've heard about it, like that it's only for white people and they go and oppress people. And I'm like, that's not what it means at all. You know, I live here in the Middle East and we've got Indians who are expats. You know, my wife is Chinese. She's an expat. Um, Italians, uh, Africans, everyone, you know, it just means that you live outside of your country of birth. Absolutely. Okay. And then, um, so let's, let's talk about your childhood. Like, how did you start getting into this? Like, how did you end up moving overseas? Yes. So when I was really young, um, I actually got diagnosed with a learning disability. So you can imagine 1980s, um, I meet, uh, meet the teachers, meet the principal and they say, Mikkel, there is something wrong with your brain. It doesn't work the same way as everybody else. And so they wanted to take me out of my neighborhood school and put me on a little bus and send me across town to a special school. But the problem, Tyler, was not that it was a special school. It was actually a regular school with a special classroom. 
So you can imagine I was getting bullied and beat up and fights every single day and, uh, you know, made fun of. And I, and I thought like, I just came home every day and I hated it. I just, I hated it. I hated school. I hated all this stuff. And I thought, okay, you know, I went to this special school, quote unquote, for three years. And when I moved back to my regular school, my regular neighborhood, everyone started, you know, whispering and gossiping and, hey, where'd he go? You know, he's been gone. Well, oh, I remember him. Oh, he went to some retard school. Once again, 1980s, totally politically correct, eh? Um, anyways, mm. 12 years old, I had had enough. I, uh, I stopped going to school. By 15, I was officially had dropped out. But um, I'm an autodidact, so I just started reading and learning on my own. And I actually left in my teens and started traveling. So I started uh, backpacking and hitchhiking through Europe and North Africa when I was maybe 18 or 19 or something like that. I had already been over to Ireland, England, and Wales. I moved all over Canada. Um, I hitchhiked through Central and South America for 18 months with a, with a backpack and a tent and a jar of peanut butter. And uh, yeah, man, like I'm 36 now and I've, I've flown around the world more than 250 times. Um, I've been to more than 100 countries. I think in your intro, you mentioned a couple of the fun ones that I've been to. But uh, yeah, this is my whole life, man, is just traveling and being an expat. I built my business overseas and uh, just having a lot of fun doing it. Do you know how many, uh, I don't know if you know offhand, like how many total countries there are in the world? There's 193 countries by so the UN. Yeah, so it, it's dependent on whose lists you follow. But if you follow the UN, it's 193 countries. Um, and then the other ones are like, some people consider countries, some consider like overseas territories. But yeah, uh, I think about into like 102 or 104 countries at this point. But uh, every year I try to hit up about six new countries now. Got it. Very nice, man. That is amazing. So, uh Okay. When I was actually younger, I did North Africa. That was like probably the biggest culture shock um, that I uh, had. So I did where did all you over- go to? I did Marrakesh and then we did um, like Atlas Mountains and then the Sahara Desert. It was like a two week, um, uh, I forget what you call it. Just like a two week type of thing. Like we, it was a tour. Nice. Um, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Like waking up in the Sahara Desert in the morning. That was pretty cool. Riding some camels and but it was definitely like, that was the biggest culture shock. I think I did like 15, can't remember, something like 10 or 15 different countries in, in Europe, um, just like all over Europe. And like, they were all different and stuff, but like I, I'm from the US originally. And like, it what nothing was really like, truly like unbelievably, like I was like, whoa, this is like so different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, and then North Africa, I was like, whoa, okay, this is different. <laughs> you know? North Africa is amazing. And especially like Morocco is such a stunning, beautiful country. Yeah. Uh, that's where I was as well. I spent two months there. Um, I went uh, right to the border with Algeria, three days on a camel um, to Algeria. <laughs> like, wow. It's, it's such a cool country, man. And I've been back many times since. I have a good it friend is. that lives there. And um, Yeah. It was a blast. So I want to, I, you know, I want to ask about, let's dive into North Korea. How was that? So North Korea is a very interesting place. It is like stepping in a time machine, you know? It's like getting in a time machine and going back to 1960, let's say. It's like all the hair, the, the clothes, the buildings, the cars, everything. It's like, it's like 
going back and I honestly, I don't have any other words for it. It's just so weird. Um, it's interesting though, you know, they, you watch documentaries about it and they'll only show you the negative side of it, the bad side of it. And, and I understand like I'm a true blue capitalist. I'm a libertarian. You know, I think that socialism and, and, um, and communism are some of the most evil things on planet earth. But when we went there, I didn't go for political reasons. I went there just to see this really bizarre country that, you know, is totally different than anywhere else in the world. But we were doing like, normal stuff you know like we were going bowling every night we were drinking and you know we rode the subway and we went to the fair and rode the roller coasters like we were just doing normal stuff chit-chatting with normal people like like it was pretty cool like i don't know man it's 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 very different than what they show you on the television that's for sure so it was pretty normal. Do you, do you like remember any, like, did it seem like any areas? Cause like, just like everybody else, like I've seen the documentaries and stuff. So did it seem like they kind of kept you in like one area in a sense and you weren't allowed to see like some parts of the country or what did not feel that way? I didn't find that at all. So, okay. For example, we were there in national day. So they do this thing. It's called a mass dance and they get like, I don't even know the numbers, but 20,000, 30,000 people, maybe more, uh, all that do these synchronized dancing. And it's right, it's, um, right downtown. And there's like an Arc de Triomphe that's based after the Paris one, the Parisian one. And our tour guides were like, okay, um, you guys got like two, three hours to kill. You know, just don't go farther than that street up there. And, you know, to the left, don't go too far over that way. Just kind of stay in this area, but walk around and talk to people and do whatever you want. So we're like, all right, cool. And we had a Brazilian guy actually in our group. You, you have to go with a, a guided tour. You have to go with a group. And uh, he had le- lived in Seoul for like 11 or 12 years. So he spoke fluent Korean. So we just walked around with him and chit-chatted with people. And the people were picnicking on the ground, on the grass. And we'd sit down and have a chat with them. They'd offer us some food. And we, you know, everyone was just curious who we were and, you know, wanted to talk to us. But like, these, these stories about them watching every single thing that you're doing. And I don't know, man, maybe they were, but I didn't have that feeling while I was there. Um, Interesting. Like once again, I'm against communism. I think it's terrible, but these were normal people that we were talking to. This was not, you know, this is not their choice. Like, okay. The great leader. Yeah. He's batshit crazy. We all know that. Like there's no question about that, but um, these were normal people that were trying to get by in their life. They wanted a, roof over their head and a warm meal in their stomach and they want to be loved man like people are the same through and through got it okay very interesting so just before we dive into the book i want to know like tell us your craziest traveling like story (laughs) (laughs) okay uh let me think for a second oh man okay (laughs) i don't know this was this was pretty random for me i don't know but uh, I remember this one time um, when I was hitchhiking through Central America and uh, I had been traveling with these Israelis for a few days. Um, all through Central America, there's like heaps of Israelis. Um, they get out of the army and, uh, and they just, they, they need a break. So they just start traveling and they're such cool people and they, they've done so many interesting things, but I just needed a break. So I showed up in Costa Rica and I was at this little guest house and I was just by myself and I was taking a walk one day on the beach 
and you know, I'm walking down a couple of miles and, uh, and I see a little inlet and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. You know, I roll up my, my I think I'm wearing shorts or I roll up my pants and I've got my sandals in my hand and I'm wa- like wading through the water, you know, and I get, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes back there and it's kind of like a winding river and I'm splashing in the water and I think to myself, wonder if there's any crocodiles here. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, that's so stupid. Crocodiles are in like Australia or something, you know? And uh, I swear to God, I take one step, two step, three, and I look up and I see these eyes in this head and, and this, this crocodile or alligator or whatever we have in Costa Rica go into the water. And he's about, I want to say about three meters away from me. And, uh, you know, I'm like, get hit in the face with like a, a bucket of cold water. That's the feeling, you know, and I freeze yeah. and I'm like, and I brace, you know, like I'm like, I'm about to get attacked by a crocodile. And so I brace and I squeeze my fists really, really tight. And I turn around and I run and scream like a little girl as far <laughs> as fast as I can in the other direction. There's no way. <laughs> Dude, that would have freaked me out for sure. Yeah, that was so bizarre. And man, like I must have sprinted for 15 minutes straight. I've never been so out of breath in my entire life. Because man, there's no one around. Like, like seriously, no one would have been able to hear me if something had happened. They never would have found me. Like it, was, it would, just wouldn't happen. Yeah, I've heard they, they can be fast, you know, like even on like on land, like they could maybe catch you. So you got to run fast. I yeah, well, I wasn't sticking around to to find out, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Costa, like all, all of Central America is just so wild, man. I had so many crazy experiences there and uh, but but interesting countries as well. So, and sorry, I want to ask one more before we go in, because I, I've actually not been to Central America or South America, and it's not because of this reason, like I, I will eventually be going, but um, I have like a fear of spiders. Um, have you encountered any crazy spider stories? I didn't, I didn't have any problems with spiders, but I had several occasions with snakes. So Ooh, that's pretty yeah. good too, that <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Um, so cool, man. So, so yeah, let's dive in. Uh, t- just give us like an intro or like, tell us a little bit about your new book, uh, expat secrets. Yeah. So the book has done extraordinarily well. It's called expat secrets. Um, how to pay zero taxes, live overseas and make giant piles of money. I know super humble title, super, super <laughs> high humble. No, man, it's, it's, uh, it's based on my 20 years experience as an expat and it deals with the financial side. You know, like I'm not talking, telling crocodile stories in the book, what, what we talk about is the offshore markets. And, and when I say offshore, really what I mean is um, basically any jurisdiction that is outside of your country of birth. And traditionally, they will have low taxes or zero taxes. So there's roughly 42, 43 countries that kind of qualify for this. So some of the countries would be like Panama, Belize, Seychelles, Singapore, Hong Kong, Switzerland, um, where else? Like BVI, British Virgin Islands, um, lots of countries in the Caribbean. And, um, and so we talk about how to use these structures and these setups so that you can legally reduce your tax bill, you know? Now, like I'm a Canadian and our taxes are ridiculous there. Like, you know, you've got 
uh, income tax and you have sales tax and PST and GST or whatever they're calling it these days. You have property tax, you have tax on gasoline, you have tax on your car. You know, it's, it's not unreasonable to say that it, a solid 50, 60, 70% of your money goes to the government. And like I said earlier, I'm a libertarian. Like I, I want small government. I want really, really small, harmless, the guys that can't come after us. You know, yeah. like we've got a lot of clients these days who are Americans and they live overseas as expats and uh, they might owe a little bit of money to, to the government. And when they show up at the airport, um, there is federal agents waiting there and they, they take you into custody and they confiscate your passport until you are tax compliant. And this is happening like all over the place. Like I get messages from my CPAs you know, with new, talking about new clients who've come in, you know, people that have lived overseas for 20 years or 30 years, and they're coming back to, to see a sister or, you know, a dying parent or something like that. And their kids are back uh, in the country they live in. And now they don't have a passport. Now they can't go back. It's, it's all messed up, man. Yeah, so, crazy. so the book, we, we talk about the legal ways that you don't get yourself into situations like this. So you can legally pay no taxes. You know, and, and it has to do with incorporating a company to hold your assets for offshore banking. And then a lot of these things can lead to residency and second passports and, and lots of fun stuff like that. Got it. Okay. So if I had to guess, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people are interested in the, in the tax stuff. So whatever um, I, I know, cause we briefly discussed, like we can't go too deep into some things, but if you were to, um, and maybe you already mentioned all you could on it, but for for the tax stuff, is there any like specific country that maybe you recommend? Like, is Panama the best, or does it just depend? Is it all very custom, or is there some things that are just like, yo, this is the best way to do this? You know what I mean? So okay, so the majority of the people, I'll just put this out there first off. The majority okay. of the people that we help straight off the bat are Americans. Everything is just more complicated with the tax structure with the U.S. So okay. what they do is in the U.S., they actually tax based on citizenship. Uh, most countries just tax on like where you are a resident. So like I'm a non-resident of Canada and I run my business overseas. So that's pretty clear, you know, that I and I've spoken to uh, like Canadian Revenue and they understand that I'm not there. And it's like it's very easy. With the Americans, um, they actually want you to pay tax no matter where you live in the, in the world. So there is a really great um, thing that you can file. It's called the Foreign Earned Income Exclusion. And it basically gives you, I don't know the exact number, I think it's $104,200 worth of deductibles uh, to be able to you know, reduce your tax bill. So... If you're a couple, you both get it. So that can put you at over, you know, $200,000, $210,000. And then there's tax credits and things that you can do depending if, you know, if you live in Italy or if you live in uh, France or something like that and you pay tax there, you know, you don't necessarily have to have double taxation. Got it. Okay. Um, so, no, sorry. go ahead. Sorry. No, I feel so, like, or sorry, go ahead. <laughs> That's too funny. You go. <laughs> I hope this is an edited show, but... Um, <laughs> So that's kind of the reason that we help a lot of the Americans, but the structures that we do are usually like, 
so you will be a non-resident in the United States. You will be able to prove that you're out of the country for, say, 330 days a year. And then you will be a tax resident in a country like, let's say, Panama, for example. So Panama only charges taxes, income tax, on money that you earn inside the country. But you can be a tax resident of Panama and earn your money overseas, like say with an internet business, say you, you know, do drop shipping or you're a consultant or you do coaching or things like that. You know, so you could, you could show the IRS, look at, I'm a tax resident in Panama. And then you might actually live as on a tourist visa in Argentina or in Korea or in Europe or something like this. And then you'd have the business structured in the Caribbean. Like there's different levels that we can get into to make sure that you're compliant and remove your taxes. And this is usually referred to as PT theory. So uh, perpetual traveler or previous taxpayer. Um, sometimes people know it as flag theory as well, where basically you're planting flags um, in different jurisdictions. And it really diversifies your risk around the world. Because at the end of the day, I really believe like the world is a big place. And you know, if I need something done, I don't want to look in my neighborhood or my town or my city or even my state or province. No, I don't even want to look in my country, man. I want to look, okay, what is the best in the world to get something yeah. done? You know, the best banking, the best place to have my company, the best place to do my medical. You know, like I go to Korea when I want medical procedures done. I don't have them done in the UAE where I live. You know, this is where I'm a resident. This is where I like to spend a lot of my time. But I do different things in different parts of the world. And that's kind of the, what we talk about in the book and on the podcast and the blog and the newsletter and all these things, all this stuff that I put out. Um, it, it talks about this internationalizing your life. So I hope that kind of makes sense. I know that's a lot of stuff all in one, but. No, it does. I mean, I'm definitely going to be reading this book. I think a lot of our listeners will too. Um, so two questions real quick there. So one with, with the Panama thing, does P Panama, they just have like a good tax situation, like not many tax, like if you just, you kind of said like a lot of things there, like you could be there, be in Argentina, <laughs> but let's just say, let's just say you wanted to like kind of move to Panama, open a business there. Would you have less taxes in Panama than in the U S if you just did that alone? Uh, so it depends. It depends. Okay. This, this will get into the, uh, I don't want to give individual tax advice, but yes, in a lot of instances, absolutely, it will help. So one of the reasons that I really like Panama, and I can comment on this, is they have something called the Friendly Nations Visa. And what it allows you to do is become a resident of Panama. And it's open to, I think it's 42 or 43 countries. I'd have to check my notes for the, the, last, uh, the last count because they're always adding additional countries. But basically, you go in, you open a bank account, and you form a company. In the bank account, you have to hold something like $5,000 there, just basically proof of funds. And you'll, you'll often work with a lawyer. I have heard it's possible to do on your own, but like, you know, me and my family are going through the process right now. I just hand it off to a lawyer. Um, if anyone wants, you know, a referral, hit me up on my website at expatmoneyshow.com, and I can pass the information along. But basically, you become a resident of Panama. You only need to spend a few days a year there to keep your residency valid. And then after five years, you can apply for citizenship. So you can actually get a second passport. And this is about the cheapest 
easiest, simplest possible way that you are going to get second citizenship uh, in the world right now, especially if you don't have like, uh, like my family's from Denmark originally, they don't offer Danish citizens, you know, unless you're born there. Like, you know, I know with Irish and Polish and Italians and stuff like that, there's ways to get citizenship that way. But for most people, Panama is like as easy as it gets. And then, like I said, you know, if you're earning your money outside of the country, yeah, it's like an pretty internet much free. Yeah, if it's yeah. an internet business, um, you know, that's a pretty solid option for people. And it's a beautiful country. It's, you know, it's like, uh, I've been told it's like Miami. So that's... Uh, yeah, that's what I've heard too. Well, and a lot of our listeners are like internet-based companies. So, um, got it. Okay, so Pamina, let's just say Panama is a good option. We can say that. Um, so before I get to, I want to ask you about the secret offshore gold vault in Singapore. I've got to ask <laughs> yeah. you about that. But before, you did your research, no problem. Before we get there, though, I want to know why do you get like procedures? You said Korea. Okay, so Korea, you can think of as economies of scale. So in Korea, the plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery is like the number one thing that people do there. Like it's just, it's, it's so normal that no one even bats an eye. So say that you were in the United States and you were in Hollywood and you think I'm going to get the best Hollywood doctor in the whole wide, like whole wide world. And I'm going to get them to fix my nose. You know, like for example, like I, I've got a busted nose. I, I got fight in fights a lot when I was a kid. Maybe I want my nose fixed. You try to do that in Hollywood and the guy might do who knows, three, three surgeries a week, you know, but you go to a place like Korea where they say that something like 70% of the women between the ages of 25 and 50 have had some type of cosmetic surgery done. Wow. You know, the guy there who does, who's going to reset noses and do rhinoplasty and all this kind of stuff, you know, he's going to do three a day. He's going to do five a day. And then you multiply that out, you know, so that's 25 a week versus three a week. And then you put that over a career of 15 years or 20 years or something like that. And this is really what I mean by like economies of scale. They just get so good at it. It's ridiculous. Like you walk down the streets in Korea and you will see such stunning people there. Like it will blow your mind. But none of them look like they've had work done. You know, and it's the same with dental. It's the same with skin. It's the same with basically any type of medical procedures. And, uh, and I've, I've just had really good experience. Like my mother, she needed to have eye surgery done. I sent her to Korea. My regular dentist who I see often is in Korea. Like I, I'll fly over there to visit him, you know, and it's, um, it's just also a fantastic country. I know a lot of people there. And uh, like I said, I just go to the best in the world. Like I just... The UAE is not where I'm going to do my medical procedures. Got it. So it's not necessarily like cheaper. It's just like literally. Oh, it is cheaper. It is cheaper. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah, is. but it's, it's not like, okay, like if you want cheap medical, go to Thailand. Go to medical tourism in Thailand. But I can't promise you it's going to be the best in the world. Yeah. You know, like it's gotcha. that happy medium of the absolute, you know, the best in the world people, they're at their A game and a reasonable price. Like it's definitely cheaper than the States. For example, like you can get a holiday out of it, fly business class there and back and, uh, and get your work done for 
probably the same price as the States. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yep. Um, got it. Okay. Um, so now tell us about that gold vault story. We like stories. <laughs> stories are always good. So <laughs> actually it's good time too, because I'm about to go visit these guys again. So there is uh, there's a vault company in Singapore and it's actually opened up by a German guy who renounced his German citizenship and became Singaporean. And uh, he married a Singaporean um, lady and, and he opened a vault there and he started it off really simply, you know, like just storing the stuff underneath his bed, like literally like bars of silver and stuff under his bed. Well, now he's growing this business into, I don't know the exact numbers and I'd be remiss to say, but it's somewhere around 300 or $400 million worth of gold and silver. Um, anyways, I, I got to know this guy. He's the CEO and the founder and we became friends. And uh, he actually invited me over to Singapore to, to see this, uh, to see his facilities and stuff. And I was like, Hell yeah, absolutely. So I jumped on a plane and, and flew over and I, I asked him, I'm like, you know, would it be cool if I filmed some of this? You know, I've, I've got my podcast and I put out videos and we sell courses and things like that. He's like, yeah, sure. No problem. You know, gave me a couple of rules of, of, of behavior and, and what can be done. And so I went hog wild. I, I hired a, a film crew and a sound system and everything like that. He gave me a four-hour private tour of, of this secret gold vault in Singapore and walked me through all the steps and the security and this vault and that vault and this door. And this is, you know, you walk in the front door and it's called a man trap. It's like basically you walk in and the second door cannot open until the first door is closed and locked. And then you've got like four armed guards behind bulletproof glass and you have to surrender your passport. And... All of this has to be done before you can even open the next door. And the door is at like an L shape. So he's telling me like, if they tried to use a, you know, like a dump truck or something as a battering ram, you couldn't break into the vault because you would have to make like a right hand turn <laughs> to try to get through the next set of doors. And like, you, you couldn't do it. It's too tight. So like, this was, this place was nuts, Tyler. Like it was just, it was crazy. And I just thought it was such a cool, cool experience to go. And, you know, he, he's like, here, hold this. It's like a 13 kilo bar of gold. He's like, that's like a half a million dollars. I was like, <laughs> I was like got like 50 pictures with the thing holding it up. And, um, I don't know. I, I'm such a boy's boy. You know, I just think stuff like this is just so neat. It and, is. Yeah, dude. So. Um, so, okay. So. Let's say, I mean, dude, you've, this has been amazing. Where, uh, where can people go to, um, to, to get the book? Where would you like them to, to learn more about you? Yeah. So visit my website, go to expatmoneyshow.com. There's actually a new uh, lead magnet right now I've put out. It's called 15 Global Strategies to Protect Your Wealth. I worked with one of the most famous asset protection lawyers in the world on this. This is the real deal. Um, I've gotten some fantastic feedback from it. You'll find that on the website. All you got to do is put in your name and email address and you can have that for free. It outlines a lot of the strategies that we've talked about today, but goes into, you know, where you can find more information. You know, if you want to do some of these things, the lawyers to talk to, it's all free. 
Um, so that's really cool. And then the book, you can go to expatsecretsbook.com and that's going to redirect you right to Amazon. And uh, yeah, you can pick it up on Kindle or you can get the physical edition. Um, I like the physical book because I like to highlight and underline and there's a lot of information in here. I promise you that. But it's um, the book's about 150 pages. I tried to take these really, really complex subjects and make them super duper easy for people. Um, I have got no ego with this stuff. I don't try to write in a way that's going to like uh, make me look all smart and stuff. You know, this is meat and potatoes, lots of information, some good stories in there. Go to expatsecretsbook.com and uh, yeah, pick up a copy of that, man. Perfect, dude. Thank you so much for coming on. This was uh, an awesome interview, man. That's good. I'm glad to, glad you enjoyed it. And I hope, uh, I hope your listeners gets lots of val- got lots of value.